Um, let's, I just want to dive in because I don't want to do too much introduction with our passage this morning, but we are continuing through Luke. And if you've been following us, you know that Luke has been a bit of a fun, a fun ride of like the difficult sayings of Jesus all seem to be packed into this section of Luke we're walking through. And this morning is no different. So let's just read together. It's in Luke chapter 12, and we're starting at verse uh, 49. And this morning I'm reading from The Voice, um, which is a a relatively new translation, but one I thought did this passage um, particular justice. So let's read together. And this is Jesus speaking, just so you, you have some context. This is serious business we're involved in. My mission is to send a purging fire on earth. In fact, I can hardly wait to see the smoke rising. I have a kind of baptism to go through, and I can't relax until my mission is accomplished. Do you think I've come with a nice little message of peace? No way. Believe me, my message will divide. It will divide a household of five into three against two, or two against three. It will divide father against son, and son against father, mother against a daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And speaking to the crowd, you see a cloud arise from the sea in the west, and you can say, here comes a shower, and you're right. Or you feel the hot wind blowing in from the desert in the south, and you say, it's going to be really hot. And you're right. Listen, hypocrites. You can predict the weather by paying attention to the sky and to the earth, but why can't you interpret the urgency of this present moment? As a passage... I find that this doesn't really seem to fit in a gospel that began with an angelic promise of peace on earth. Right? And particularly in the season that we're in, the season that feels like we're experiencing an abnormal amount of division in the church, I think, at at large, but also in society, um, this passage seems to affirm precisely the wrong tendencies of our human behavior. And if we're honest, then we look historically and we look at this way as read, people have taken this passage and often misused and abused it. Right? They've used it to justify division and they've used it to justify hatred, pointing to this, like, this idea of purging fires and using it to justify or even invoke the war and cruelty on others. And church leaders have taken this description of family division and used it to rationalize denominationalism and to practice excommunication, like kicking people out that they disagree with. And in so doing, I think we've denied the hard work of love that we're called to. While this passage is often misused, I think it offers us a good reminder of things. Because when you read this, if you were just to pull out a verse here or there within this passage, it's easy to see how people got to some of these different ideas, right? But when you look at this passage in the greater context of just Luke, it makes a little bit more sense. But then if you read it 
in light of the life and death of Jesus, which is how we're actually supposed to read all scripture, if you come to any of those conclusions that point us in the direction of hate, you have to realize we're reading it wrong. And that said, I don't think what Jesus is saying here is easy. There's no way to like boil down this passage and be like, oh, that's nice. That's, that's one I'd like to memorize and keep close to my heart, right? Because it isn't an encouraging passage. It is heavy. I think Jesus is actually raging against that kind of, that, that calm, quiet, um, easy nature that people want to fall into, right? That nature that says, it's just like, isn't the prodigal son passage coming up? Because it is in Luke. You're just like, let's just skip a page, skip a page. Excellent. We're into something that's easy again. Or more easier, maybe we'll say. Because I think Jesus here is exactly, that's what he's saying. Is he's ranting against the easiness in this. But we'll come back to that. Because I think first, in order to really be here, we have to, there's two images in here. Fire, purging fire, and family division that kind of rest within this that are often the two pieces that people point to. And I think we have to unpack those in, this, in the uh, context that they're in. So when Jesus speaks of bringing purging fire to the earth, I suggest that we have to avoid connecting this to images of destruction and cataclysm, all right? So when people think of purging fires to earth, they often go right to Second Peter or right to Revelation and they think it's the end of the world. But this isn't the case in Luke, okay? Luke doesn't refer to the fires in that way. Um, if you look earlier in Luke, there's, there's images of this, but specifically I think you look at uh, in Luke 3, where John the Baptist is speaking. And you can read it, Luke 3, starting at verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing hole and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the, pe the people and proclaimed, proclaimed the good news to them. This, this fire that comes with Jesus, John isn't saying that it's one of judgment, but one of purification which is maybe one and the same, but quite a bit different at the same time, right? And when you look at fire in general, like most of us, if you've experienced a tragic fire, it has um, negative connotations, right? We look at some of the forest fires that are raging in and around the world right now, and it's, uh, it's tragic. Someone who has lost a house to to fire, you know the tragedy of that. But we also know kind of the warm, comforting presence of fire, right? This just week, we had a, um, a campfire with friends, and it's just like sitting around a campfire, there is little else that is better in this world, in my opinion. 
right? There's something peaceful about the presence. And fire, in all of scripture, it has both, right? It has this purification, this kind of, there's this harshness to, harshness to it, but there's also this kind of presence. And when we, this peaceful presence, and when we pick one over the other and forget that it's the both and, I think we miss something. Jesus' presence was there when he led the Israelites through the desert. The, the presence of, uh, of God was there with the Israelites in the wilderness, right? Pillar of fire through the desert. Or the, pillar, the burning bush that uh, appeared to Moses. And the prophets, they talk about this as well. Jeremiah and Isaiah refer to the burning presence of God. And it's easy to understand how we would get to thinking of fire simply as judgment. Right? Because when we speak about judgment, it's another way of speaking about how unrighteousness and how idolatry and how injustice are burned away because we're in the presence of a loving God. But I think there's a big difference between judgment that is a shaking finger and the impurities and the sin and the wrongness in our life getting burned away because we are loved. And it's a slightly different way of understanding it. And I believe that the fire Jesus wants to kindle here is actually that fire of change, of purification, the fire of God's active presence in the world, the fire of God present with us, which would make sense why then Jesus starts off with this and says, I'm eager to see the smoke rising. Jesus anticipates and even yearns for the kingdom of God to be present here with us. To be with here, to be lived out in this real world. But unfortunately, not unfortunately. Fortunately, that means that oppression has to go. Greed has to go. Idolatry has to go. As does exploitation, dehumanization, racism, or any other evil we can think of or name right? Any other evil that prevents, prevents the flourishing of all people and all creation. The fire has to come because these things have to go. You know, there's been a lot of, of bad, popular, quite popular, but bad theology where, and that have trained us to hear this line, my mission is to send a purging fire on earth. In fact, I can't hardly wait to see the smoke rising. And we picture this kind of like Rambo Jesus, right? He's taken off the blue sash and put it around his, his head. And that's, we've got this image of Jesus kind of like, can't waiting to take down some sinners. Which just doesn't jive with anything else you read about Jesus. You get why someone would get there if they just pulled this completely out of context. And I think, like, to be fair, there's, Jesus is displaying some intense passion here with his language, right? He's using strong language to make a point. I bring a fire and I can't wait to see the smoke rising. But he's making a point that actually lines up and makes sense in the light of his life and death and resurrection. Not an anomaly. Jesus is expressing his desire to see the kingdom of God present here on earth. For the fire of God to burn away the evil. 
to see the fiery presence of God, the God of justice and the God of love here with us. And that will mean some purification, of course. And it'll be painful, but it won't be hateful. It's God with us. It's love with us. It's a deeper understanding of what peace and unity really are. Which is tricky then when you're reading that and Jesus starts to quote about family division, right? It's, it's tricky, particularly when you don't look at what we've just come through in Luke. But this whole section has largely been about trust, right? God has been, or Jesus has been speaking about God's desire for us to fully trust in the creator instead of trusting in our family or trusting in worldly possessions, right? A few weeks ago, Gavin walked us through that invitation into prayer that Jesus called uh, his followers into, which was about trust. And Jesus is challenges the people listening to him about where they place their trust. And he's continuing in this, right? Because he's actually quoting, loosely quoting, Micah, the prophet. And if you want to read the entirety of the passage that Jesus is quoting, it's in Micah 7. And you can go ahead. I just want to read you uh, the portion of it because I think it brings into context exactly what Jesus is, is getting into. Starting at verse 5, do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, brace, guard the words of your lips. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Jesus, by alluding to this, prop, this passage, by alluding to Micah's words, Jesus is reminding people where their trust is not to be placed. And this was a point earlier. Jesus already was ranting against the the centralness of family versus the centralness of God. And this is a continuation of that. And Jesus is reminding people where to place their trust, not in family, not in worldly possessions, not in things, not in earthly securities, but in God. This, this bit about, about family division is more about trusting God than it is about family. But the words that Jesus uses get our attention, don't they? Which is the point. It's rhetoric. Jesus is using an extreme situation, hyperbole, to get our attention. And it's also a reality. There is a reality that following Jesus has its cost. I love the way the, the voice translation um, Words, verse 55, particularly. Do you think I've come to bring a nice little message of peace? There's like this, this sarcastic edge to the words, right? Because imagine Jesus, I imagine Jesus is getting frustrated with people, pe- people who are missing the weight 
of his words. I think there's people in the crowd, just as there are today, that have misinterpreted complacency and avoidance as peace. Do you know anybody who has a relationship where they say, well, we never argue, we never fight? And then you observe the relationship and you're like, oh, that's just because you're really passive aggressive with each other. Right? It's not peaceful. Right? It's actually like deeply violent and dishonest. I think Jesus is getting frustrated when people are missing the point. They're, they're being nice, they're being polite instead of being just and loving. I, and this is my own tilt because I have a natural tendency away from niceness. Um, so take it with a grain of salt. But I, I've often said, Jesus actually never called us to niceness. Right? Even when, when, uh, when Paul unpacks love in 1 Corinthians, he says, love is kind, which is worlds away from niceness. Right? At least in my mind. Because niceness is someone who, tell, who says all the right things to your face, but is lying. Kindness is, says all the right thing, all the things you need to hear, but in a loving way. Right? And I think Jesus is frustrated with the niceness. I think we all kind of end up in that headspace, though. I do. You know, I avoid difficult conversations and say it's because I want to keep the peace. I avoid standing up for injustices that we see around us because I want to be polite or considerate to people. You know, I avoid loving my neighbor because out of complacency that I misinterpret as peace because we think that sameness is peace too, don't we? I think Jesus is fed up with the people taking his message and toning it down into something that's nice and polite. Verse 56, listen hypocrites, you can predict the weather by paying attention to the sky and the earth. Why can't you interpret the urgency of this present moment? The moment is urgent. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus says that over and over again in the Gospels. The kingdom of God is here if only you could see it. If only you would live it. Yes, of course it's going to mean that you'll be uncomfortable. It will mean fire. It will mean purification. It will mean change. God forbid. It will mean that your family relationships will change. Because they have to. But the time is urgent now, just as it was then. Early Christians, and I think we do the exact same thing today, we read this urgency because the end is nigh. Right? I don't know, I remember, I think I've shared this story before, but I remember going to a conference um, when I was a student that told me that no one in that room who was under 16 would live to see 25 because Jesus was coming back. I'm over 25. Right? But that's the nature of things. People tend to read the urgency as in it's the end of the world. Right? And some of the early Christians did this, not all of them, but some of them did. And I think we do the same. We're just like, it's urgent. We have to get people saved because the end is coming. 
And it's just like, I think 2,000 years on, we can maybe read this in a slightly different light. And I think if we don't, we're kidding ourselves a bit. The urgency isn't because the end is coming. I wouldn't be surprised if we are all around in 4,000. We got another, we might only be at the halfway point, as long as we don't kill the earth before that, but. <laughs> the urgency isn't because the end is coming, but because the, the world is in urgent need of the kingdom of God. There's an urgent need for, for people who aren't looking for a nice little message of peace, but people who are willing to trust and follow God down a difficult path of love and a difficult path of peace and the difficult path of justice. The need is urgent because there are oppressed people all around us who need to experience the love and justice of God. And that's the fire. That's, that's the difficulty of this, is that there is an urgency. But it's not what we kind of traditionally have thought. Anybody have any questions or response to that? Um, I can really feel Jesus addressing the hope that people had that by his death, all of the persecution, all of the suffering, the division had caused was going to somehow go away. And he was trying to reset <laughs> their expectations that it would actually, a new tribe <laughs> would even be introduced, a new way to be divided. But um, he was calling them to live differently in it, um, which was probably very disappointing. <laughs> so right back at the very start when you were talking about the tragedy of forest fires, um, I always remember um, when there were enormous fires in Yellowstone and watching an interview on TV with one of the park rangers and this poor reporter was trying to make this into an enormous tragedy and the ranger over and over and over again said well actually no this this fire is a good thing it's it's not easy for us as people who love the park but if it weren't for this fire, there's a particular kind of pine where the seeds need fire in order to germinate. And he went on to talk about how the fire um, makes the forest healthy again because of what happens in the undergrowth and the animals and the insects and on and on and on. And um, when in this passage, that's what I think of with respect to fire is how um, it's difficult, but it's necessary. The similar lines of how forest fires used to, we used to set up towers and hire high school kids and uh, early university kids to sit in them and report every forest fire and we put them every single one out. And now we're looking back at that and going, that was a big mistake. <laughs> because all these forest fires would clean up all the dead wood and now we have a whole bunch of excess dead wood. So when the forest fires do happen, they're much worse. Um, and just how, thinking about how it, when we try to intervene in forest fires, we've messed it up. What about when God is using his fire um, 
yeah, if we intervene, what could be the consequences? And there's just a little bit of like. It's a fair question. I think the, to me, the big thing to remember is that when you're looking at fire, it is, and you, it's particularly in the Gospel of Luke, when it's about purification and God's presence, and God's presence is always about his kingdom. Because that is the kingdom of God, is living in the presence of God who is love and justice and peace. But actual love, justice, and peace, not our nice, dumbed-down versions, right? And I think when I get refreshment out of this passage because I see a frustrated Jesus. And for me, when I read it, I'm just like, okay, good. I can be frustrated. I can be like, ah, why won't, why won't this, this be different? And I hope you guys will get a sense of that as well, a sense of it's okay to be frustrated, but also a sense of the urgency in that there are people in the world who actually require us to live differently, who need to live into the urgency that is the calling of Jesus on our lives. I want to leave you guys this morning just with... Uh, what I think has become my favorite blessing is just the Franciscan blessing. So just let me pray it over you and then we can go. May God bless you with this comfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. And may God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from, from pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Go in the peace, love, and justice of our Lord. Amen.